0: This is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books in Popular Culture, and today I'm here with Frederick Louise Aldama, who is the editor of Graphic Indigeneity Comics in the Americas and Australasia. So, Frederick, thank you for being here with me.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. And wow, I'm just like, this is an amazing kind of coincidence, or maybe not. Maybe you timed this perfectly, but also um, you know, happy or let's affirm today as Indigenous People's Day as well.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for letting us and reminding us of that. Uh, so I would love to start with you talking about why you wanted to put this collection together um and how it sort of came to be.
1: Yeah, thanks Rebecca. You know, um I'd, there has been kind of moments really of, of important scholarship on comics comics and in indigeneity, native american comics north american comics but nothing that has really kind of pulled them all together and i thought my goodness we, we need this now there's there's uh, there are there is such an abundance of comics created around the world by Indigenous creators for Indigenous readers, primarily, and secondarily, kind of, you know, other non-Indigenous readers, it's it's time. And so, instead of us kind of going moment to moment, kind of like a, a skipping stone, you know, looking for articles, scholarship on this stuff, I thought, let's just go for it and make the kind of, you know, definitive at least foundational springboard volume for us to launch from. Um, I'll just add too that, you know, um, this was a huge challenge in many ways. And, you know, the fact is that there, I didn't get, you know, all of the kind of scholarship that I was hoping for when I first dreamed of the project, which, you know, probably would have been a multi-volume, huge, huge, huge uh, final product. But what I did get is amazing, and I'm really excited and happy to bring this and help bring this into the world.
0: So you've divided this into three parts, and and so we can talk about each of those parts. But I wonder before we sort of get into each of the parts and some of the. chapters in them. If you can sort of talk about why you made that choice um, and sort of how you thought about once you've got the collection, right, once you've got these pieces, how you sort of thought about and divided them.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of thought does go into how we, we um, organize scholarship how we organize the dissemination of knowledge within sort of big volumes like this. And, you know, the first section's really about kind of showing the world how kind of others have distilled and reconstructed the indigenous identities and experiences in mostly Lazy, careless, and even uh, shamefully denigrative and racist ways. And I open, I started with that because I really wanted to kind of have that echo board for us to understand just how significant Indigenous comics as a movement created by and for Indigenous audiences around the world is so kind of radically different and so radically kind of pushing against this target, say, of um, denigration, exploitation, um, appropriation. At the same time, I also wanted to kind of include pieces that do talk about how some non-Indigenous creators like um, Jack Jackson willfully you know, brings a great will to style, willfully distilling and reconstructing, doing the homework to make kind of complex representations of, you know, uh, resistance movements like Alcatraz and uh, Wounded Knee, you know, bringing those two readers in and through a kind of underground comics aesthetic. So I wanted to bring, you know, bring to light how, it's not that you have to necessarily be indigenous to create comics, good comics about the indigenous identities and experiences. It's just that you have to really like, you know, be, do your homework. And, you know, this is important. So yeah, that first section was really all about kind of laying that out. The second section, part two, Decolonial Imaginaries, Terra South, was really about kind of linking Linking our hemisphere, the Americas, together with showing kind of you know, what's, what's, what was going on in Canada with representations, usually not so good representations, North America, and then over to um, our brothers and sisters in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and then kind of looking at what's going on in the southern hemisphere of the Americas uh, in terms of comics creation by indigenous creators in terms of the the real significant ways that even Latinx comics creators in the north in the US are going back to our ancestral histories, Mesoamerican histories and kind of embracing them and reconstructing them in U S spaces for us to really uh, imagine a wider sense of what it means to be Latinx in and through our indigenous ancestral past and present. And then the third section is really, um, you know, again, kind of linking us to what's happening in Canada and the incredible comics creations that are working um, in that space, the indigenous comics creations that are working in that space to push against legacies of the violence of Uh, the coloniality of power, of misrepresentation, all those things that I talk about in the first section. So it's a real celebration of what's going on there and also a celebration of um, all the, all variety of kinds of comics that we're not just doing superhero stories. We're not just doing stories that kind of go, th- sort of go back to the past in a speculative space and then reconstruct that in an empowering way. But we're also telling autobiographical story. We're telling history. Um, indigenous comics creators are really kind of moving into this space. Also, reshaping the comics form itself through multi-modalities, you know, animated video and sound being introduced into digital comics spaces. In the one case, you know, um, Candida Rifkin and Jessica Fontaine and their scholarly work on this incredible uh, piece, uh, this incredible multimodal comics piece, Will I See, that looks at the tragic murders of Tina Fontaine and Farron Hall, Right. Um, really going into that violence against indigenous youth and showing us how we can bring that to audiences in an empowerful, impactful way.
0: Right. And so before we get into these these chapters and these parts, um, and I know we will talk about this as we go through, but I want you i have the book in front of me and it's beautiful. There's some well beautiful and haunting imagery but there's a great deal of imagery throughout the text and so I, can you talk a little bit about that choice and the choice to be able to not only write about these comics but also represent them in the text
1: yeah you know one of the things about comics studies in general is that today we're seeing um we're seeing the the power of deep scholarly work in the space of the visual and the visual is the dominant mode for comic book storytelling and so for me it was really important to make sure that we had um, you know the the color comics reproduced when we could um, um, or when they were in com in color because i talk about this concept in the introduction but it's really important to understand the ways in which indigeneity is drawn or what I call geometrized in comic book narrative arts. And by this, I mean how comic book creators, indigenous comic book creators, and non indigenous. Uh, use the shaping devices, the visual shaping devices like layout and color, palette, place balloon placement, the lines, perspective, facial expression, all of that to convey emotion, to propel the story forward. And this is important, especially when you think about the history of non-Indigenous comics creators doing such a lousy job of geometrizing Indigenous subjectivities and experiences. So, it was really, really important for me to bring the artfulness of the drawing and the how this is the main kind of motor uh, behind the storytelling, but also a part of that movement against a long history of being kind of represented in many cases as Indigenous, but having the kind of color of uh, of uh, you know criollo or a white light skinned person, or even the bone structure that doesn't really reflect um, our indigenous ancestry, but rather tips the balance always toward a more Caucasian uh, aesthetic.
0: So. As we move through this, um, let's start with this part one, Um, part one where you sort of talk about these mainstreamed indigeneities. And so can you um, talk a bit about some of the pieces that are in there? I don't know if there's five in this section, if you want to highlight a few or sort of give an overview of um, some of them. But let's talk about this sort of first part um, that you were trying to get at sort of the othering and sort of situating this movement.
1: Yeah. um, And Rebecca, if you don't mind, if we, uh, I'll just mention a couple of other things that are important. You know, this book, while I'm pulling together a lot of um, important scholarship and it's both transnational in its kind of approach and and, at the same time, respectful of, of regional and um, sort of communal-based understandings of the differences across cultures and experiences. Transnational in the sense that there's a shared history of, right, colonization, empire building, etc. across the globe that indigenous peoples and creators share. But at the same time, these are all kind of Um, grown in very specific soils in very different ways. Um, And so, yeah, so with that in mind, going into the spaces of even understanding how a kind of comics industrial complex on a global level has itself tried to kind of force and contain indigeneity in ways that, you know, reflect and even mirror the, 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 the kind of global politics of empire building, right? So this first section really showing us that. So on the kind of global level, like what's, what's happening, what's been happening with comics, especially coming out of Western spaces like the US, um, you know, in terms of representing indigeneity or the other, a kind of orientalist right um primitivist paradigm at work within the comics industrial complex um and so yeah this first section is really all about teasing that out and we go into with we you know we launch with Brina clark gray who's you know a very well-known respected uh comics scholar especially working in the space of canada and you know it's this is this is really important because she you know Brina really like you know breaks down how indigeneity has been appropriated in these particular in Canada and kind of peddled pushed back out there as somehow the 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 representations of of um indigenous you know in in Canada and how it really kind of does damage, you know, so, you know, she looks at things like alpha flight. um, She looks at, you know, other, other spaces um, where there is this tendency to uh, metabolize to indigeneity, to package it, to market it and to sweep aside the the details and the specificities of the histories of indigenous peoples of Canada um, Justice League so all of those kind of superhero comics that were created that you know um, do that Mohican shaman move right where um, you know the shaman is somehow mystical and frozen in time and you know, um, you know, can call the spirits, et cetera, in this very mystical way as a as a way of containing indigeneity in these kinds of stereotypes, right? Freezing in time, freezing in the past, and not really showing that in fact indigeneity is something that is much more complicated living and breathing in a present tense moment. It's also important because it shows the contrast between a kind of cultural appropriative move that says, "Oh, look, let's pay homage or respect to indigeneity, even if it's in a in this kind of stereotypical way," and at the same time, the very real politics and policy making that continue to expropriate lands and to oppress and um, and exploit and even commit continue to commit acts of genocide. Uh, against Indigenous uh, First Nation peoples. So, yeah, so, you know, and moving in, you know, from there, we have the historians. Uh, we have historians um, that look at Australasia, very specifically places like Australia, and, the, and we have um, and New Zealand and the Maori indigeneity and the histories of reconstructing that uh, story in ways that are also you know very denigrative um that contain and that distill and reconstruct um again going from you know uh, comics that are you find in australia um comics like Skippy the bush kangaroo but also looking at comics that are you know part of the X-Men series the aboriginal superhero gateway Right, um, and the his his particular powers and how they are problemat- problematic, how they kind of create a mishmash of Aboriginal beliefs because the you know the creator of of uh, Gateway didn't do any kind of even a modicum of homework in the reconstruction of that character and the construction of that um, and other comics, uh, Hicksville, a really famous one. You know, non-indigenous-created comics that really shaped the imaginary uh, and the the images that were circulating about you know Maori, indigenous New Zealand and Australian uh, peoples. Um, you know, they end with a kind of on a really hopeful note that fortunately there are many more indigenous creators out there. You know, in New Zealand and Australia, pushing against this excess of indigenous imagery um, that has contained and denigrated indigenous peoples and experiences and identities. So, yeah, so really, you know, kind of sweeping through and then someone like Kevin Patrick, the scholar, you know, looking carefully at the phantom, I think is really interesting too, because he reminds us that we're not just passive absorptive sponges, that in fact, um you know when even when there's denigrative stereotyping in this comics industrial complex and even when there's something like the phantom that does the the same kind of work that i just mentioned in terms of um you know careless and even destructive reconstructions of indigeneity that there are indigenous creators who have taken up the phantom and repurposed and recreated in ways that, you know, speak to and from uh, Maori indigeneity perspective subjectivities. Um, so that, you know, just a reminder that yes, this stuff is, is not good, but at the same time, we're not just passively absorbing it, that there are creators out there who are re-spinning it in ways that, you know, make it really sort of interesting, make this spaces interesting again. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned, yeah, Terra, this Terra South section really kind of moves us into the South Americas, the hemisphere that makes up the South um, uh, of the Americas and really getting at some of the incredible comics there like Chola, Chola Power and you know, Daniel Parada's Zotz, and others that are really really doing the work both on the shaping, visual shaping and also in the storytelling and the say, what's being put in front of the panel in front of us to to kind of create these incredible stories um, Chola Power wow, I love that comic book it's like um, you know we have a indigenous um you know superhero and she you know very much rooted in her you know in her um pre pre conquest myth mythologies you know same thing with paradas zots um there's jorge santos and we have um, uh, several other people, scholars working in this particular space and kind of moving to that Mesoamerican speculative reconstruction of indigeneity. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, this, this volume for me was, uh, I am still learning from it. I am still learning from it. It's, it's just mind-blowing. It, what is happening out there what has happened but mo- more more powerfully what is being created out there to enrich and complicate this comics book storytelling space you know um sorry i'll i'll just keep talking a little bit because you know lee francis wrote the pre- uh, a really beautiful forward and he mentions tribalography uh, a concept you know approach, a method for positioning works by indigenous creators as central to the discourse and valid on their own merits for critical scholarship and dialogue. And, you know, I, I'm i hoping that graphic indigeneity is that for other people. I know it is for me, and I know it is for the scholars that contributed to it, but really... You know, opening this space for this deep exploration of indigenous works at the same time as kind of showing, you know, this long history of how indigeneity has been boxed in, contained and in that way also kind of erased or made safe. And how these indigenous creators around the world are really pushing against that and also clearing absolutely brand new, beautiful new paths.
0: One of the things um, that I really appreciated, and it might move into sort of part three more than any of the others, is coming from a background of looking at and researching zines and sort of other underground spaces. I loved looking at Um, sort of the way in which some of these comic book artists and some of the discussion around using that sort of non-traditional space, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And pushing on that. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in the context, you know, of some of these uh, narratives and pieces in here about using that sort of underground um, and resistance mm. space to sort of push against some of these larger narratives.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, you know, um, there I mentioned how graphic indigeneity is a movement, and today I see it as a movement—a movement against the comics industrial complex that has gotten it so willfully wrong um, when they have kind of pushed into this space, either by appropriating or deliberate erasure or through hyper-exaggeration and stereotype. And so, by movement, I also mean that the creators are working across all different genres and in all these different kinds of creative spaces, um, multimodal, zine, uh, maybe more traditional comic book superhero action uh, layout and graphiation, right? So line work, um, balloon placement, etc. There, It's it's everywhere. It's the autobiographical, it's the historical, it's Gord Hill's 500 years of resistance comic book. It's right. It's, um, um, the you know, it's, um, It's Zots that I had mentioned. It's the superheroes, like, you know, Tribal Force and Aragon Stars, Super Indian. Um, um, The team that put together Chickasaw, etc. All, you know, many of which are being published through Native Realities Press, Lee Francis. And so, we have to see it as a movement. And because it's not something that's identified by form format material shape zine comic in a certain way right it's it's all of these things plus it's all sorts all it's all the genres and it's a movement because it's political one way or the other it's political because it's um in it's storytelling that intensifies and puts on the map from the indigenous subject position traditions that have been either co-opted or wiped away. So, yeah, I, I think that all of these speak to that question of the power of graphic indigeneity on the singular and then as a collective seen as a collective that's moving against the comics industrial complex. And that is also opening new spaces, new spaces for storytelling.
0: Another thing that I want to sort of highlight because we could spend all day highlighting <laughs> different areas, but one of the other things I really appreciated um, was some of the look at um, female, either protagonists or writers, right? So I think of Dear Wima, Woman, but you also mm. talked about, um, uh, you just mentioned, and now I'm blanking La Chola, was that?
1: Uh huh.
0: Right? Like there, yeah. Yes, right. So there's these also. Um, thinking women often Mm -hmm. are on the outskirts um, or Mm -hmm. in comics, right? And so I'd love for you to talk about where you see some of these representations, um, even though Dear Woman is sort of this monstrous represent, but still wonderful, um, talking about some of these representations as well.
1: So it's not just... Um, kind of gender in a traditional sense. I think what you will see is if you go dive into some of these comics um, created by our, you know, indigenous brothers and sisters, those also who are sensitive and do their homework, you'll see actually a greater sense of what gender can be a greater spectrum of what gender can be. So, not just gender as kind of identified by, say, you know, biological genitalia or even role, kind of conventional role models, but seeing spectrums, so masculinity. So even something like Aragon Star Super Indian, uh, you know, that is, we're seeing a different kind of masculinity in the sort of body, the space of, you know, super Indian, even in the drawing of super Indian, um, we're seeing kind of a move, a push against conventions of binarization, male, female, masculine, feminine, and we're seeing much more spectrum, masculinities, uh, spectrum femininities, and p- the power that comes from Going back to Mesoamerican pre colonial pre conquest spaces that didn't create binaries of, you know, gender, binaries of sexuality as we see them and know them today, and recuperating and putting those into the comic book spaces today and the characterizations and the protagonists that are being put out there as a way to also you know, create this resistance to normative patterns of reading superheroes or reading protagonists in, in very specific ways. So that's how I would answer that question. It's a little more general, but I think maybe a little more generative.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I wanted to sort of, you, you touched on, but I'd love for you to talk about a bit more is, right, we often do see comics in these roles. This, the superhero genre becomes this, you know, one that people go to. Um, But like, I'd say one of the the text in here that I really appreciated was Enrique Garcia's piece uh, that is looking at sort of Puerto Rican comics and heritage. Mm. Um, and so, can you talk a bit about like the role of comics in? A, in like I said, you talked about this a bit, but I'd love for you to you know sort of talk about and highlight that role of comics beyond that superhero and sort of grounding and creating um, narratives and and discussions of heritage. And
1: that kind of, yeah. Well, you know, what's um, there's so much in Enrique's work that's uh, super powerful, and I know this is the seed to a bigger project on Taino, um, in Puerto Rican comic book spaces, the indigenous Taino. But what's really, I think, significant and powerful about this particular chapter is his focus on the comic, uh, and, um the making of uh, the recuperation of indigenous ancestral pasts in ways that are vital and alive for young readers and vital al- and alive you know for young readers primarily and of course you know parents that that are also invited into that space or adults that are invited into that space and Showing really how um, you know we can kind of um, be at once critical of the way a Spanish colonial mentality has placed itself in in and on Puerto Rican readers um, through long histories of imperialism and colonization and do it in a entertaining and fun way and he you know i think this is like pretty pretty significant you know he kind of goes goes to the early readers which in a way is the place where comics can and do the the most powerful and important work and i don't mean that by You know, in the sense of like propaganda being fed to kids. I mean that in the sense of of really kind of taking children, young readers, on journeys that are respectful, recuperative of our pre-conquest ancestral pasts—things that they don't get in their classrooms, things that are um, histories that are not shared that are erased from official textbooks in Puerto Rican classrooms and a real kind of uh, embrace and recognition of Puerto Rico's mestizaje, the three races that make up, you know, Puerto Rico today, African, Taíno, and Spanish and, you know, the comics that are being created can and do, do this. It's pretty remarkable. He also mentions a friend of mine, Edgar Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez's Labor Kenya. And, you know, again, that takes a kind of superhero mode. Um, but again, very, very much a move to bring Spanish, Taino, and African ancestral culture, histories, heritage into the characterization of the superhero, the Latinx, -Latinx, Afro-Latinx, Kenya. So, yeah, all of these things are so radical and so incredible and so important.
0: Yes, as someone who works with teachers or or students who are going to be teachers, this piece in particular really spoke to um, something that could be used and, and really, right, we often... There are a number of things out there about comics in the classroom and using comics, but not in a way that really pushes people to, I think, like this, um, this collection does, but pushing um, teachers to really think about these representations. And so this was, for me, mm. a really nice way to sort of highlight that.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so important to have to, you know. I do this every year in the fall. I have SoulCon, which is my brown, black, and indigenous comics expo, and I bus in K through twelve kids, and I also bring the teachers in uh, to learn from the creators themselves that fly in, drive in, train in to Columbus for these three days, and it it's with the teachers and the kids that. I see all of the sort of incredible light bulbs going off and, you know, oh, I didn't know I could own my story. I could share my, I could tell my story or teachers realizing that they can use a comic like La Borinquena uh, to, you know, take the children on a journey that then the teacher can enrich and add to by talking about Taino history and culture and then, you know, also the the dark side, the the genocide and colonization and histories of internalizing kind of whiteness um, and how that sort of functions in, you know, indigenous, Latinx, Afro-Caribbean, America hemispheric spaces.
0: Yes. Yes. And I often um, and this just highlighted, especially going back to sort of part one, but like in in reading a number of these pieces, just highlighted the ways, (coughs) excuse me, highlighted the ways in which um, the U.S. sort of like you talk about the comic industrial complex, right, sort of takes over and likes to make sure that we are the savior in many ways and that I appreciate all the ways in which these authors sort of represent and show that there's a larger picture out there and there's a larger, and there's other narratives besides that sort mm-hmm. of grand narrative we often see um, in Absolutely. U.S. popular.
1: Culture. Yeah. And also speaking of popular, right? I mean, and I mentioned the kids and how they are, get so excited and they get really excited too, to meet the, the creators and to see themselves right see brown and black um creators like there with them teaching them they just don't ever see that especially in a place like Columbus but popular culture as the kind of you know i think for me anyway and for many scholars today i think that this is really the vital place for a kind of interventionist scholarship to to happen because the popular necessarily pushes us outside of the comforts of an ivory tower classroom space constantly. It's asking us to understand this, you know, within the, the sort of space of the popular and those spaces for like people like me and you are um, Latinx and, and black and indigenous it's, and and so on.
0: So another, I have one other, um, piece that I really like to talk about and we can talk about others if you want, but it's the final one, right. By Candida Rifkin and Jessica Fontaine, mm. um, which is, ai don't know if it's a 180, but it moves us in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about this piece, about how they, those, you know, right. You talk, they talk a bit about, um, multimodalities and using sort of videos and music as well as the comics. So can you talk a bit about that and, and a bit about this piece?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, the big, the, the kind of the million dollar question or the thing that some of us often struggle with when when doing scholarship on comics, especially comics that reconstruct um, trauma, um, trauma that's linked to histories of genocide, trauma against and that happen within the violence that happens within our communities is how do we do that in a respectful way? And how do the comics use the visuals, or in this case, visuals and kind of multi modal storytelling shaping devices to represent? in trauma and indigenous experiences without taking away the kind of horror of what it means, um, you know, to be the subject of this gendered violence, the brutal gendered violence in this case of settler, settler colonialism. And so, yeah, they do a really careful job at, at kind of walking this tight rope, uh, being at once respectful and then enriching our understanding of how comics on this kind of multimodal way um, use realism, visual realism, auditory realism to intensify the horror um, and at the same time not sensationalize the horror the trauma and that's the real trick here you know how how do you tell those stories in ways that don't kind of slip into the business as usual comic book industrial complex which will go to those places of trauma simply as a way to sensationalize or to create kind of origin story and then leave it behind and they really show us how you know a comic, the comic, will I see in the, all the kind of comic book shaping devices like the use of the gutter, etc., create both the presence of the presencing of trauma and our experience as a, an audience of this, and at the same time a reminder that this is also ultimately something that is private and that will not ultimately finally satisfy a reader's hunger for kind of trauma porn or the kind of sensationalist storytelling that we see in mainstream comics
0: Mm -hmm. no and i thought that for me that was this that what you're talking about there sort of this idea of how do we um, experience how does the audience sort of see it and and have to wrestle with it right there's not mm-hmm. a um a, for me this piece felt like there was not that it, it's left unfinished right that mm-hmm. you're not going to um come to this mm-hmm. with being told like this is this is the answer or right um, that's the best way no
1: yeah absolutely to yeah, I mean that you know it's 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 remarkable because they bring like this toolkit from comics really from the visual art of storytelling through comics as well as a real sensitivity to how you know it employs video um kind of the use of motion graphics and zooms over the images um, to at once kind of bring readers, viewers in and at the same time to remind us in this kind of meta way that, well, we're the the kind of the voice, the subjectivity, the identities here are finally our own and not not something that will be um, easily consumed.
0: So, I mean, we could probably talk about this collection for a long time, but we've been talking for a while. I, What do you think, um, before I ask sort of my final question I usually ask, where do you see um, your collection, right, is sort of starting this dialogue? So where do you see this going? Are you, you know, like, what are you hoping comes from this collection? And what do you want the, right, I'm asking lots of loaded questions, Mm. I guess. What do you want the readers to get out of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we still have a lot of work to do in the spaces that, are here. Um, So the kind of hemispheric Americas and then Australasia. Um, But of course, the shared experience of colonization, empire building, uh, you know, is a global experience. And you know, even as I mentioned even if as I mentioned there Uh, it's important to recognize specificities of historical and cultural kind of difference within that. And so, you know, we, we need to hear more. We need to see more, you know, about um, places like the Philippines and Hawaii as a kind of pan Pacific space of comics creation in the same dual mode that I was just, that I laid out here where it looks at, you know, the representations done of those, Spaces and then those indigenous creators, creators with working, you know, in to, to sort of push against that, the movements across these different um, other spaces that have been the subject of colonial and empire building violence. So I think this is the beginning of, you know, further work that can really, you know, bring to the fore the. In- indigeneity and indigenous foundations at work you know in other regional geographic spaces to vitally um, inform comics making
0: so my final question usually is if you have things you're working on now or something else you sort of want to push forward or promote i know we're in an odd time with Covid, um, but if there are things you sort of want to talk about, what you're working on next? Or...
1: Yeah, so I have, um, along with this, I just published the Oxford Handbook of Comics Studies, uh, comic book studies, and also uh, gender sexuality um, in comics studies with Rutledge, the the Rutledge um, Companion. Um, And I'm just sending to press today a a big volume on Latinx TV in the 21st century. But basically, you know, in all the work that I'm doing in my scholarship right now, it's really to kind of breathe or help breathe and open new spaces of scholarly inquiry to enrich our understanding of What is happening by Latinx, Indigenous, Black, and other creators today, and less attention being paid to how we have been contained, controlled, surveillanced, and even uh, erased in the past by others. So really... Kind of bringing a new optic into these spaces that celebrates and enriches and nuances the narrative shapings and the narratives made by folks within the, the story worlds, the subjectivities and identities um, within this, you know, that are authors of the story worlds themselves that have been otherwise. Swept to the side or gate kept from, you know, publishing, um, televisual TV shaping, etc. So that's what I've been really doing. But also, I published my first kids book this summer called The Adventures of Chupacabra Charlie, and I'm currently turning that into an animation film that will be released at Christmas. Um, I've just written the second part of Chupacabra Charlie and his adventures. The first one tells the story of Chupacabra Charlie and Lupe who set out on an adventure that involves freeing children from cages. And um, so, yeah, continuing to do my, my creative work, I've also got Labyrinths Born, uh, my um, first graphic novel that's about to be completed and go into production. And of course, continuing to publish the mini graphic novels, memoirs, and histories through my Latino Graphics Trade Press series.
0: So you've got a lot going on.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, but it's been wonderful talking with you again, Frederick Louis. Yes. Thank you.
1: Thank yeah. you, Rebecca. Thank you Thanks. so much. Okay.
0: Thanks for being here.